Maybe then you can see me and I can see you Maybe then we'll come together as a people Tired of the pain cause it ain't new Let's come together as a people Even if we don't share the same view Welcome to the Jesus and Everything Foundation podcast. On this show, we look at all problems affecting the world and we discuss how we can solve them using the character of Jesus, unity, and decentralization of resources available to us. The character of Jesus, or as I like to call them, the Jesus character principles, are principles that whether you are a Christian or not, we can all agree on these principles. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For every episode, we discuss a problem topic from our category list. You can find this list on the Foundation's website, jaef.foundation. We ask ourselves and listeners, what is the goal? What is the vision for this problem category? What are the potential solutions? What are the obstacles? What resources do we need? And what resources do we have? But most importantly, do these solutions and resources pass the character test? The nine Jesus character principles? If yes, then we move on to collaboration. What does this look like? This show is a platform to get the ball rolling on as many problems affecting the world as we can. We want to go beyond just talking about problems. So after the show, we collaborate by acting. First, we open the discussion floor to our listeners. Then we decentralize and open source all of our resources from brain power, manpower, utilities to capital. Before every episode, I like to ask our viewers and listeners, do you ever ask yourself, where are we going? Where is this world going? Time keeps on ticking, the day ends, a new dawn arises, and life goes on. But what is our destination? Do we have any global objectives that unite us when it comes to things like food, security, healthcare, education, or standard of living? It's a fair question to ask. If you work for a company or work for yourself, you have a general idea about your company's vision. Goal. So what is our goal, our overarching vision as the current residents of this planet? What role is your company, your city, your country playing in the big picture? And what role are you who's listening to this playing in this big picture? Welcome to this series called Human Intelligence versus Artificial Intelligence. It's under our Curious Corner category. You can find the full list of topics we shall cover under this category on our website, jf.foundation. 
that is jaef.foundation. This is a series to address the elephant in the room. Will artificial intelligence ever equal or surpass human intelligence? In this series, I take time to contextualize some known and unknown facts that whoever is keeping track of the developments in the artificial intelligence space should consider. You see, computers are good and have made our lives easier on so many fronts. However, there seems to be this elephant in the room that if the developments and progress we see showcased in the artificial intelligence world maintain their momentum, that there is coming a day when human-engineered intelligence, that is artificial intelligence, will actually equal or surpass our human intelligence. Whether you think so or not, I address the elephant in the room from contexts that I believe our so-called AI artificial intelligence experts seem to be ignoring. I believe the best way to address this elephant is on grounds of mind and spiritual consciousness. In this series, I break down two core functionalities or components of an intelligence system. That is mind consciousness and spiritual consciousness. You see, human beings already possess both of these functionalities. Whereas computers, on the other hand, or artificial intelligence, or human-engineered intelligence, on the other hand, is still scratching the surface of mind consciousness. Without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome back to episode two of 
human intelligence versus artificial intelligence. This is a series to provide context, to provide the context in which to address the elephant in the room. Will artificial intelligence ever equal or surpass human intelligence? That is the elephant in the room. And so the icebreaker, so to say, I only intended to just respond maybe in like just one episode about something that recently happened uh, in the artificial intelligence development world. Uh, and I say that it was, uh, I was only going to respond maybe through like just one episode to just to address the recent headline about Google suspending one of its engineers who posted an interview he conducted with Google's artificial intelligence called Lambda. And he said that, you know, he, he, he posed a question. It was an open-ended question. Is Google's, he said, is Google's artificial intelligence, is Lambda sentient? And then he posted the interview underneath this question, basically to say, hey, judge for yourself. Now, I've gone on to listen to some more of his uh, concerns on this subject. And absolutely, there are a lot of things that we should probably be concerned about, but not alarmed. You see, right now, the problem we have in the world right now is there's a lot of fear. There's a spirit called fear. We react too fast. We don't have time to contextualize things. You read a headline and you just arrive at, at, at your opinion. You, you, people are not really taking time to um, think about things. We, we just going off of what the news says and you just take that as the gospel truth. No, we shouldn't just take what the news says and just run with it or any other article. So I took some time to read through the responses that the computer artificial intelligence responded with to the questions that he asked it. And so I said, I think this would make for an interesting conversation because this is something that has always been lurking out there when it comes to artificial intelligence. A lot of people seem to think that there's coming a day when artificial intelligence will run human beings out of town. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that will ever happen, but that's my opinion. But I thought that I would provide enough ground and context to answer this question so that you can take the case. I'm going to present the case. I'm going to try and present what we know, what we don't know, and I'll let you decide. I think you will make a, you'll have better ground to stand on before you make your decision and before you just be like one of those people on social media who's just reading opinions of other people and just going with the masses on, on what they're saying. Because there's a lot of fear tactics right now that are being used uh, by fear. Pushing fear into people has now become a tactic in which to either pull the masses to your side or to disperse the masses. So 
Anyways, we went through some of the questions. If you haven't listened to episode one, please just go listen to it because I read through a whole bunch of questions and responses that Blake, the, this engineer called Blake Lemoyne, asked this artificial intelligence. So one of the things that I will quickly jump into is Blake's concern is that the AI is predominantly being built using use cases, uh, data sets from Western cultures, and yet it's going to be shipped globally. So he's saying that if you're building something that is whose purpose is to almost think at the same level as a human being or perform things and do things at the level of human intelligence. And if you are going to put this algorithm inside a human looking like computer or a computer looking human to do all of these things that human beings are doing today, he's saying that one of the things that sh shouldn't be ignored is that you are predominantly using Western culture data sets. You are training this system, this computer on, let's say, information on using the North American culture, using the United States culture, using maybe the European culture, maybe using the Canadian culture, using very few culture information. And yet you're going to want to use this globally that puts us back in the position where, where we, which we're trying to come out of, which is having people make decisions that are not even familiar with um, with the cultures or with the people sets that these decisions are going to affect. You know, this we we're really trying to come out of um, systems that have been built based on racial bias and so or gender bias. So what you're doing now is that you are building the thing that's supposed to come in and almost <laughs> think like a human being, do what human beings do, and you're still training it on the same systems in the same way that has led led us into the problems we're dealing with today so for instance how much exposure is lambda getting to african culture you know does lambda only know how to respond to north american type encounters you know, can Lambda have a conversation with a child in Africa? How much knowledge does Lambda have about African culture? How much knowledge does this computer artificial intelligence know about Eastern culture? You know, or Asian culture or Latin culture? You know, or are we once again focusing all our efforts on building a product that's built around a, a so, to, so to say, a, 
a majority, but then it's, you know, around majority cultures or cultures we consider to be more advanced and more affluent. And yet the intent is to have this be deployed globally. I think it poses a lot of questions and concerns that we should ask ourselves. And that's why I think that ethical committees needed to answer to, to be like a watchdog over if you're building something that's going to be deployed to Africa, to Asia, to Latin America and beyond, then we need to look through your data code. We need to look through your, uh, the code structure and see if there are some, um, prejudices that have been encoded into this artificial intelligence, because once again, we're going to end up in, in same situations, you know, will, for instance, if you're going to develop an artificial intelligence to do the police, to do the job of a policeman, will this artificial intelligence also end up leading to scenarios where we have, you know, African-American people be disproportionately pulled over? Will we see this happening with artificial intelligence? You know, these are some of the things that we shouldn't ignore. So we should look, there should be an ethical committee globally because this is software that is going to be deployed globally that should look into these things on how these artificial intelligence systems are being trained and developed so that we prevent future encounters encounters of bias that have been embedded in the systems and societal structures we have right now that we are trying to uproot. So I do agree. We need that. Absolutely. And I think it's wrong if Google tries to part ways with everyone that tries to challenge how this software is being built, how this artificial intelligence is being built. Now, that's on one side of this argument or this discussion. How did we get here into even this elephant in the room of artificial intelligence ever equaling or surpassing human intelligence? How did we get here? Let me first do like a quick, you know, history, historical kind of timeline, and then we can see how we arrived here. Because to really understand what the future potential is for artificial intelligence, how long it could take for us to get where people think we are going to get to, with whatever, if you think AI will replace human beings, we need to look, kind of look at what has been our progress, look at our progressional steps, and, and then we'll have a better understanding. So in simple terms, artificial intelligence means exactly what it says. It's a field of software development trying to develop human-level intelligent systems. That's what artificial intelligence means. Now, some people believe we might be opening a can of worms we'll never be able to close, and others think otherwise. 
computers in general establish themselves by being good at computational tasks. Think of calculators. We had calculators and, and they could do arithmetics. So computational or numeric tasks is kind of where computers really started to establish themselves. You, I mean, you can even see where the name comes from. Computers started out by computing. At the end of the day, underneath a computer, it's always been about a computational algorithm. You give it an input, computes something and gives you an output. So, but think of the ability of computation as a one-dimensional ability. So think of computation in terms of numeric or think of computing just uh, I will expound on this in a bit in, 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 a, in, a, in, in, a, in a few minutes here but for right now in your mind think of the ability of computation as one dimensional as a one dimensional ability at the stage at which computers were doing uh, let's say calculators for instance think before we get to images and and and, and reels and video and all of these and just let's we're going back in time so computation was a one-dimensional ability so computers became to human beings in this context what cars did to horses basically before you just use horses to go from a to b to go from one place to the other place the first type of cars that came along all they did, it was, it was also, cars were also known for one-dimensional transportation, which was, they only got you from A to B. And how did they do it? They just did it faster than horses. You, you, you see what I mean? So one-dimensional to one-dimensional. That's where we were. So computers became to human beings in this context what cars did to horses. They became faster at doing things that were required one-dimensional abilities. Or in a single plane of function, they just got better and better. Computers able to really do one thing, the same thing over and over, better and better. Give them one task and they will do the thing really well. So computers became really good at doing things faster and better, especially computational tasks. Again, in this context, computational ability, we're looking at it as one-dimensional ability. Okay? So computers became really good at doing things faster and better, but only in the context of one-dimensional ability. Then came their next evolution. The next evolution was then input to output based on a designed algorithm in between. So now we moved on to like, almost like a, a another, I'm gonna say still within one dimensional ability or within two dimensional ability. 
So there was another, this is still within one dimensional ability because right now computers are not just computing things, specific kinds of things. Now you are able to get them to do different kinds of computations and because now you could literally design an algorithm and then you could have input and output, right? And you had this thing, it was almost like the brain, the, the computers, the, 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 in essence, computers, you know, they kind of human, computers are designed after human beings, right? So human beings have a brain. The, the brain of a human being is the CPU, it's the central processing unit of everything. Likewise, the algorithm in a computer is a, is a place where everything is processed. So the next evolution for computers was then input to output based on a designed algorithm in between. So the algorithms got better and better, smarter and smarter. Now, however, the evolution of these algorithms required computational power, memory, and data storage capacity. So the computer hardware had to catch up with the software that was being built. Size got smaller, whereas processing power increased and graphics got better. Now, at this point, we had graphical user interfaces, images. But also within that, remember we, we came from black and white, into color. So fast forward, we got we 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 got to the evolution of um, as the algorithms were now embedded into computers, where you could just give a computer certain kind of information, use the algorithm to manipulate the input to give you an output. Um, the as these algorithms grew, they required more computational power, memory data storage capacity. So computer hardware had to catch up, which is what I was just talking about with a software that was being built. The size of these computers got smaller. You no longer needed a full storage room to keep a computer. Now we are at the level of a smartphone. So size just kept on growing smaller or getting smaller and processing power increased and the graphics got better. So at this point, we had graphical user interfaces, images, video, and all the cool fun stuff that you, you, we have today, all the cool things that you can do. Now, there was this period of curiosity of, okay, how good can we build the algorithms we use to manipulate the inputs? Hmm. There's a period of curiosity. At this point, we had already started amassing huge amounts of data, which forced the evolution of data storage into the cloud. So that's probably about 10 years ago, right? At this point, we are, we are, amass we, we, we are amassing huge amounts of data now, which forced the evolution of data storage into the cloud. So that was another evolution. 
So we go through this next phase of data storage. And with these huge data banks, it was inevitable for data manipulation algorithms to keep getting better. Again, data manipulation or DML, uh, data manipulation, you have data manipulation languages, but right now data manipulation algorithms just basically an algorithm that is manipulating data. It's manipulating existing data, right? To create more inputs and outputs. So data manipulation became like this branch off of the main trunk that started growing wild. And the more it grew wildly, we realized it was giving birth to new possibilities we had never thought about. So now we are at a point where you have a big data set, you have people's names, likes, uh, dislikes. Basically, this was the first level of um, social media. So now at the beginning of social media, as an example, the algorithms could collect my likes, dislikes, uh, could collect the people I follow, people I'm friends with, but now they had evolved into, they evolved into a place where now they could recommend people you could be friends with. They could now go based off of the content that you, you've liked to make suggestions of other videos you might like, or of other people you might want to follow, of other content you might like. So now we were going into something called almost machine learning. Now, data manipulation is, I would say was still within that two-dimensional ability. Because now you can take a whole bunch of inputs. I mean, you can take outputs that came from an algorithm and you can look at the data and say, can I use this data to produce this? Or can I take a subset of this data and find out this? That's you really trying to manipulate this data. But data manipulation introduced machine learning. And then, but also, you know, like back in the 40s, there had already been some low-level machine learning. So machine learning then became a cousin of data manipulation, which also started growing wild. And we started to realize that over a certain period of time, you could teach a machine how to do certain things. Now, again, stick with me here. For you, for you to understand, um, there's a whole lot that I'm going to be covering. I'm just using this as to just create some awareness in case you're someone who's listening to this and you're like, man, how does this affect me? Like, listen, you really want to kind of hear this stuff. I'm saving you the time of going through reading all these books, articles and all this. Just I'm, I'm laying some ground here. We're going to get to the fun stuff. Just just wait for it. So now we're talking about the subject called machine learning. So machine learning is basically 
became a cousin of data manipulation, which started also growing wild. And we started to realize that over a certain period of time, you could teach a machine how to do certain things. Machine learning is basically, <laughs> the funny thing about all these terms is they mean how they, the, what they mean is, is how they sound. Artificial intelligence is artificially engineered intelligence. Machine learning is teaching a machine to learn something. So machine learning is a machine learning of different tasks, learning how to do different things from the data available. Okay. So computers really now became really good at repetitive tasks like picking up something and putting it back down, move forward, stop, turn around and come back, all of this stuff, right? And then, so then we started seeing factory robots. We started seeing videos of factory robots. Companies started working on factory robots. Something that can pick up something, put it down. So all of that has been kind of happening, but now at a higher level where you see a robot, a humanoid robot, that means a computer which is built like a human being walking around the factory, picking up things and putting them here, picking up things and turning around and coming back and moving forward and moving back and all of that. So humanoid robots. But honestly, what's really happening when you see at this point, what was really happening behind all of this motion was really just, it was still motors and sensors. I wouldn't see anything within even the realm of human intelligence. No, we hadn't yet cracked artificial intelligence. Or maybe we, we, we had started a little bit. We were just at the very, very inception at, at kind of like the beginning stages. But still for me, um, he, factory robots, seeing a robot even if it's built like a human being in a factory picking up things and putting them down for me honestly that doesn't really it's it's awesome it's good to see but for me that is not even within the realm of human intelligence because what's really happening behind all of this motion is 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 still motors and sensors right rotate 90 degrees move up move down elevate um Rotate this arm 30 degrees, extend by this distance, pick up, make contact, sensor, pick up object. Uh, so while all of this was happening, however, you know, these computer algorithms at, that were being designed as artificial intelligence systems really took a huge leap forward as far as cognition is concerned. For me, this is, I think, where we really started to get into, okay, this is some interesting things when voice recognition technology advanced because now they could take in data inputs via sound input and perform tasks. So now you're now getting to design something that looks like a human being because you're saying, hey, do this. Hey, do that. Hey, don't do this. Hey, give me this. Hey, give me that. So for me, I think voice recognition is what really turned the corner for this space. But voice recognition itself had to evolve to mapping speech patterns after specific individuals so that 
my let's say my voice activated speaker could hear different tonalities and accents you know you know your google home speaker right now is way better at picking up my mind way better picking up my voice versus maybe two or three years ago right it's it's been trained by so many different speech patterns you know so voice activated speakers could hear different tonalities and accents so that's kind of where we were at. so it was inevitable then that the next step was this wild child called machine learning and voice activation and intensified data manipulation algorithms paved the way for some low-level artificial intelligence so now this uh, when we when we finally activated sound and sound inputs and all of these and so i think then we stepped onto the platform of artificial intelligence but this was still very low level artificial intelligence again with the with the voice activation i think it was inevitable that the next step for this wild child called machine learning teaching a machine how to learn something and voice activation and intensified data manipulation algorithms that this paved the way for some low-level artificial intelligence so what i'm going to do is in this is basically uh what happened so then what happened next so what happened next once we turned the corner we saw we st we paved the way for low-level artificial intelligence which has become the elephant in the room today will artificial intelligence ever equal or surpass human intelligence so we saw computers with some sort of low-level artificial intelligence be put to the test in areas such as playing chess versus humans and go and sure enough computers rose to the top they won we saw a computer sitting down and playing chess versus a human being the best human being and winning and also other games like go but winning games against humans isn't what is causing some people to blow the horn of caution as far as the most recent leaps in artificial intelligence development yes we have military drones that can be deployed remotely with a potential to execute special attacks and counterattacks, and there is reason for concern here because some people are worried that if drones with the capability to self-detonate can be launched remotely then what if a nuclear bomb was attached to a drone and a tyrant of one country pulled the trigger so what if you you know now you could just build this nuclear bomb, attach it to 
this drone, deploy it remotely, give it a distraction radius, tell you know, design within the the activation that take up this whole area, you know. So there's concern from that front that when it comes to the military aspect, these systems being built, it will be very easy for someone who has bad intentions to use this to wipe out huge populations of people. There's a reason for concern right there. It could have a global catastrophic effect. It really could. Drones could easily start World War III. They could. And when it comes to this, my own stance has always been this. That the man behind the machine will always be the problem. I never blame the machine. Because it's man who builds the machine. And the machine is the is only an extension arm of the man building it. So when videos of Boston Dynamics, um, Boston Dynamics, this company called Boston Dynamics, and they build uh, they build robots, and uh, you know they of course some of them are humanoid robots, robots that are are, are built like human beings. So they've got these two special robots and when these videos of these robots surfaced and the things that the robots were doing in these videos of course it caused an uproar people are like oh here we go we have a, a humanoid robot we have a, a, a computer that's now built like a human being that has come to that is just going to run us out of town and of course if you're not familiar, there's also another humanoid robot called Sophia. Sophia is a female robot. That's what she's been. That's what. That's how she looks like. Now, I'm not sure if if you asked her, "Are you a man or a woman?" I don't know what she would answer. But anyway, she's built like a woman. So Sophia, the famous social humanoid robot, was also making waves around the news with how humanistic she looked. She's been taken on two different interviews and people sit down with her and ask her questions and all of that. Now, every time we recalibrate to the advancement of a humanoid robot, for instance, once we see this video and our minds adjust to this new reality, the next display of progress always causes a bigger uproar. It always causes uh, whistle, you know, people who are concerned to blow the horn even louder. You know, ethical uh, people concerned about the ethics behind these developments. You know, they 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 just they react louder, and rightfully so, depending on how you look at it. Rightfully so, we should have a watchdog over the whole industry of artificial intelligence for reasons that I've already explained about. So, which brings us back to where we started this whole, you know, what we, what we talked about in episode one, which was recently an interview done by one of Google's engineers with Google's own artificial intelligence called Lambda, 
This interview that was posted by him caused familiar echoes of caution and ethical checks and balances to be put in place, which Google has been hesitant to doing. And I'm sure other companies which are working on uh, artificial intelligence systems in stealth mode or in, in secrecy, they, they don't want to probably be exposed to any ethical committees at the moment. Now, in his own opinion, as I said before, Blake, this engineer from Google, he posed the question, is Lambda sentient? And then he posted the results, the responses that he conducted with his artificial intelligence. I will post the link and you can read them for yourself. So, of course, like with previous showcases of artificial intelligence progress, the public had a field day with this one. Not surprising because of these reactions from the public, Google suspended him. Now, in his defense, he said he and a few others have tried to get the attention of the higher ups at Google, but they seem to ignore every proposal of caution and ethical checks and balances. I've read through some of the responses of this interview. And so my overarching opinion on this whole issue of whether Google's artificial intelligence and others are sentient or conscious, which is where this whole series is going to come down to, sentient or cautious, is we are both underestimating and overestimating the capability of artificial intelligence. What I find interesting and ironic is that when I read through the opinions on both sides of the aisle, the people who are downplaying the magnitude of artificial intelligence are underestimating it. And the people who are really and the people who really believe that artificial intelligence will one day suppress human intelligence and run human beings out of town are way over their heads. They are overestimating it. Since the elephant in the room is, will artificial intelligence equal human? Will artificial intelligence equal or surpass human intelligence? Since that's the elephant in the room, I thought it would, it would be best to define the fight rules of these two heavyweights, the latter still upcoming on grounds of mind consciousness and spiritual consciousness. Again, let me repeat what I just said there. To address the elephant in the room, will artificial intelligence equal or surpass human intelligence? I thought that the best way to really contextualize this argument has to come down to grounds of mind consciousness and spiritual consciousness. Spoiler alert. On grounds of consciousness, humans win this one easy. Easy, easy peasy. Easy, easy peasy. If you are looking at this question and trying to answer it on grounds of consciousness, which is both mind consciousness and spiritual consciousness, best on the context of these definitions and what we know about consciousness? No, artificial intelligence will never equal human intelligence when it comes to mind consciousness and spiritual consciousness. 
it won't happen. Now, spoiler alert, sorry, but I want you to stay here and hear how I'm going to unfold this opinion, why, why I don't think this will happen and why I don't think you should be freaked out. So that's what we're going to be doing in the next couple of episodes. I think it's going to be fun. So uh, what I was just doing was laying the groundwork and saying, okay, the best way to really answer this question is we have to ask ourselves. In what context are we talking about artificial intelligence equaling or suppressing human level intel human intelligence if it's on grounds of mind co of consciousness or what Blake posted saying sentient or conscious? We have to say, well, there people are ignoring that there are two kinds of consciousness. There is mind consciousness and spiritual consciousness. Now, before I get too far into this. I like the idea of delegating tasks that put humans in harm's way into the hands of artificial intelligence computers. Now, concerning equaling or suppressing human level intelligence, not anytime soon, not anytime ever. It's not going to happen. But don't take my word for it. I'll present the known facts of this case and you can judge for yourself. In the next episode, that's what I will be talking about. I'm going to talk about this elephant in the room. I'm going to try to answer the elephant in the room. Will artificial intelligence equal human, equal or surpass human intelligence based on ground of consciousness and consciousness being mind consciousness and spiritual consciousness. Thank you for listening. And see you on the next episode. We're about to dive into some really, really fun stuff. This was episode two of Human Intelligence versus Artificial Intelligence. In the next episode, we'll continue looking into some of the responses from Google's Artificial Intelligence Lambda and determine to what degree we as a society should be concerned about the developments we see coming from the artificial intelligence space as a whole. Your host for today was Calvin Cavanda. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.
I will, I will raise my voice and sing 